Today's episode is sponsored by Learning Ally. Learning Ally has been recognized by the Fast Company World Changing Ideas Award in 2021 and by Tech and Learning as a winner for a remote learning solution. The Human Read Audiobook Solution is proven to double the rate of reading growth for students and provides an equitable way to bridge students to grade level learning. Look for Learning Ally at edcuration.com to find out more. You're listening to the Ed Curation Podcast. We bring you stories from educational leaders about the instructional resources, practices, and movements that are reshaping learning. I've had at least 15 students who have increased more than four grade levels. He used theater as a tool to make great human beings. My expectations are high for all of them. One of the things that I really love about teaching is the fact that every day is sort of unique and different and strange. Our guest today is Lois Letchford. Lois is a literacy problem solver, specializing in teaching students who struggle to read with creative, intuitive, strengths-based strategies that work even when all else has failed. Lois presents at literacy and learning conferences worldwide, and she is the author of the book, Reversed, a Memoir. Lois, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Christy. I'm delighted to be here. Yeah, we're thrilled to have you. Um, I want to jump right in and start talking about your book. It's about your journey with your son who was diagnosed as severely learning disabled, or he was labeled, I guess. And you yourself are also dyslexic, so you have your own challenges, but you were able to pull him out of school, teach him at home, essentially get him caught up. And you later became a reading specialist which is amazing. Um, And I'd love for you to share a summary of your journey with your son that you cover in the book. Just briefly, if you're able to nutshell that story. Thank you. I'll do it as quickly as I can. Nicholas went to school in 1994 and I knew he had problems and he bit his fingernails, he wet his pants, but I didn't realise that he stared into space. And on day six of school, I spoke to the teacher and said to him, said to the teacher, how's he doing? And she just threw up her hands and said, oh, this is so hard. He's impossible. He stares into space most of the day. And that is what happened throughout the whole year and not one person contacted me and said, this child has a problem and it shouldn't be like this. However. At the end of the year, he is tested. We find out that he can read 10 words. He's got no strength and he has a low IQ. The next year, 1995, my husband has an opportunity to take study leave because he's a professor and we go back to his alma mater in Oxford. So for six months, Nicholas is taken out of school. I take a series of books with me to help him learn to read called Success for All. And they were an abject failure. I was no better than his first grade teacher. And my mother-in-law's with me and she said, Lois, put away what's not working and make learning fun. And that was the start of me saying, well, what can he do? I knew he could rhyme words and I knew he could see patterns. In fact, he's very good at pattern recognition. What can I do with that? Try and write a little poem. I did. And we wrote one poem. We read it. We found the rhyming words. We set it together. 
we illustrated it and learning immediately changed from being impossible to this is doable. And I wrote a poem every day, panicked but writing a poem, and we come up with the double O as in Cook, Look and Book, and I wrote about Captain James Cook. And while I'm writing about this little poem, we see a globe from 1550 of no Australia. Look, Nicholas, there's a gap in the map. There's no Australia. Now we're into asking questions. We're inquiring. Nicholas said, who came before Captain Cook? I said, oh, that's easy. Christopher Columbus. And he says to me, and who came before Columbus? And I'm floored because I, you know, there's, who's before Columbus? And because we're in Oxford, we are then able to visit the Bodleian Library and ask, where would we see a Ptolemy map? Because Ptolemy's was Columbus's latest map. Ptolemy lived in 250 AD. Columbus sailed in 1442. That's how old this map was. And they bring out a book of Ptolemy maps and plop it on the desk. Here's a book of Ptolemy maps. We're also seeing maps and map shops around the, the, the city and you're also taking in history just from being in Oxford because every time you turn a corner, there's another plaque to someone who you've heard about and Nicholas starts to make all of these connections. So learning has moved from just being in our classroom to going everywhere. We get back to Australia and Nicholas is sitting in the back of the car and he, we pull up in our driveway and he says, there were so many things to see in Oxford. We return to school. I see the diagnostician who'd done the testing and I said, Nicholas has learnt so much. We've had so much fun. She puts her hands on her hips and says, well, I've spoken to the reading teacher and she says he's gone backwards and he's the worst child I've seen in 20 years of teaching. I take a big breath and walk away, but eventually I'm thinking that I'm slow. It takes me a while to formulate my ideas. And I went back to her and I said, you can call him whatever you like, but if he is the worst child we've seen in 20 years of teaching, then don't expect him to learn like everyone else. And in yeah, fact, that's the key, right? Her words were so powerful in allowing me, giving me permission to now continue to change the teaching method. I remember it came with the word under. He had a word like thunder to learn in his spelling and he couldn't do it. He, you could see his face would go white and he would just blank out. So the next day then I've got bits of paper this paper is under the bed. This paper is under the chair. This paper is under the chair. Ah, now he's got it. Now we can do thunder. Boom. And it was, so it was a little bit at home, mostly in the classroom. And every day he got better and better and better. And by the time he's seven and three quarters, I wake up at five o'clock one morning because there's a little voice talking in the lounge room. And I get up and look and there's Nicholas dress for school, reading a book. Wow. What a day. What a day. So Lois, I'm just curious, when, how did you know what to do with him? You didn't have training as a reading specialist, but somehow you just figured out the things that were going to help him. Was it just by just paying attention? I started to read a lot. And the book I read that really impacted me was The Gift of Dyslexia 
by Ron Davis. People disagree and agree with it. But in his book, he said the abstract words cause children who struggle enormous difficulty. And that was Nicholas. You could see I couldn't teach him any sight words because he would just turn away. And how did you overcome your own learning challenges and your challenges with reading in order to teach him? By then, I'm reading and writing effectively. So my learning challenges really happened, you know, through school, through all of my schooling. And it took me a long time to read a book independently. In my early 20s, I never picked up a boy's book by choice. And it's because I didn't connect with them. The first book I picked up that I absolutely loved was Thorn Birds by Colleen McCulloch. Couldn't put it down. My biggest challenge was writing, and I only dealt with that when I wrote my book. Wow. So what was that process like for you? Well, Nicholas's story got better and better and better. That was a driver. And by the time I finished my master's, Nicholas is well into his PhD. That is amazing. What is he studying? Applied mathematics at Oxford University. Wow. So he's back in the place where he first learned that he could learn. For the degree, Doctor of Philosophy, Christchurch. Nicholas Letchford. I'm graduating from the University of Oxford with a DPhil in Applied Mathematics. I became the reading specialist teaching children who had failed all reading programs. As opposed to focusing on the weaknesses, capitalise on your strengths. I wouldn't have got to Oxford if it wasn't uh, because of my dreams and aspirations. Labelling is the worst thing we do to children. Believe in your child, then they can achieve whatever they like. So yes, the end of this inspirational story is that Nicholas received a degree from Oxford in Applied Mathematics. Wow. But let's jump back into the middle. The Letchfords were back in Australia, but then when Nicholas was in fifth grade, they moved again, and this time to Lubbock, Texas. We go to Lubbock and the principal says to us, you know, we tell a story and she says, I think he should repeat. He shouldn't go into fifth grade. He should go into the fourth grade. Nicholas goes into fourth grade. He's now not a low student. He's not an average student. He's becoming a top student. And so he goes from the bottom to the top. You've got a problem in Australia. He doesn't talk to anyone. He's just the quiet clue who no one talks to. He's excluded, basically. In the US, the kids want to talk to him. They want to hear his accent. He's interesting and different, and he has an accent. And the classroom teacher did a unit on tall tales. And Nicholas came home to me and said, Mum, they asked me if we've got a koala up every tree. And I said to him, Nicholas, of course you have. And you ride (laughs) kangaroos to school. That put Nicholas into a different world. And the kids would come to me and say, how did you get to America? Did you really ride on the back of a whale? (laughs) (laughs) And, And so that Nicholas is having to talk. If you've got a language problem, well, how do you get better at it? 
Nicholas's school in Lubbock started an accelerated reading program, and Nicholas wanted to take part. So every evening after dinner, he'd start reading, and by nine o'clock in the evening, Lois would have to insist that he go to bed. He read two hours a night, five and six and seven nights a week to read one Goosebumps book. Wow. How do you get better? You put the work in. The next thing, Lubbock, Texas is in the middle of nowhere. To drive anywhere, you drive for miles. And I said to the librarian, she said, listen to books on CD. It transformed our world. And so in now, in Nicholas, instead of just reading and reading at that really slow pace, he's hearing the language of his peers. And now his growth is exponential. He graduates or finishes elementary school in the top tier of his class. By the time he's in middle school, he's exited from special education and in high school is a normal student, graduating in the top 20% of his class. Speaking of using audiobooks to boost literacy and help students gain fluency, today's sponsor has got you covered. This is Dr. Terry Noland, Vice President of Educator Initiatives at Learning Ally. We have a big vision, and that is to smash the literacy divide in our country. We are doing that with our award-winning audiobook solution that bridges students to grade-level access, but more importantly, grade-level learning. We have professional learning solutions and an educator community that focuses on the person. I hope you'll join us in this march, in this mission, to see every student gain access to literacy. Find Learning Ally at edcuration.com. The story is not just the learning to read, but it's the growth from the bottom to the top. Yeah. That's multi-layered. And that has become your passion and your life's work now. So you became a literacy, what you call a literacy problem solver. You now teach educators how to change their approach to struggling readers and go from a deficit to a strengths approach. What, what are the key components of that switch that you teach when you work with teachers? A lot of material is not culturally appropriate for our children. We use standardized texts, thinking everyone will learn from that. They don't. In fact, a lot of the stuff that is standard is actually quite alienating. So we want the child to connect with the literature. Yeah. That's number one. The second is I teach children whose English is their first language. Everything I teach my children is in their backpack. So I'm connecting the oral language to the written language. You speak this word. This is the word on paper. This is how it's used. This is how we read it when it comes. And these are the connections we have to make. I always use literature. We know we have to teach children to decode. And the problem is I don't, I think it's not decoding, but it's we make too big a jumps. It's Mm, got to be explicit in the way that, when I taught Nicholas, I'm teaching short vowel, consonant blend, short vowel, consonant. 
but the consonant blends, we spent two months working consonant blend short vowel only mm. because he needed that sort of effort. And, and I think we jump over that and we put too many sounds in for children to hear and comprehend. All at the same time. Everything I do is connecting oral language to written language to the child's experience. Yeah, that makes sense. Can you break down, you call it the MAPS approach, M-A-P-S. Talk us through that. M is for mindset. When my son was in first grade, he was the dumbest kid. He can't do anything. I want to take those children, or I do take those children who have struggled, and I see them as future rocket scientists. That's the first. So what's our mindset on children that struggle? Mindset matters. A, the next, active learning. If children are sitting there filling in the blank, you're marking it right or wrong, they are not actively engaged in the learning process. So every bit of work I do with my students involves active engagement. How do I do that? I turn a book into a play. I act out my poems. You are the cat. Who else is going to be in this? What role am I going to play? Now I've got active involvement. Reading is thinking. Reading is not decoding words. I think that's that's a huge piece right there that we're using reading and books to explore concepts and ideas. It's not just about the words. The words are just the pathway to the ideas. Yes, yes. So M-A-P, play. Mm. Play, and it's playing with thoughts, words, ideas, playing with learning. It goes from filling in the blank to, you know, how exciting is this? What other questions have we got from it? Just play. And when you're playing, learning just happens. S, student success. And it comes about not only from those, but because mapping was so important to Nicholas. So, Lois, why aren't more schools using these kinds of strategies that have proven effective with students that other strategies have failed for? Why aren't we incorporating these more? I think big business has played too big a role. When we were in Lubbock, Texas, they were using a Voyager program that had just come in. Lubbock, Texas is 800 miles from the ocean. They're learning about the sea. For children who learn with these, they get it. They understand and they can pick it up, whatever you put in front of them. For children who struggle with reading, it becomes a component of yet this is even more alienating. I've only seen fish in the aquarium. I've never heard the ocean. I don't, I have no experience about what you're talking about. And therefore it only happens in books. It doesn't happen to me. It's not part of my world. I mean, for a more advanced reader, there's this idea of I get to know the world through books, parts of the world that I don't know and understand. But for a, an emerging reader, their curiosity really has to be involved is what I think I hear you saying, right? And making connections. Am I able to make connections to the text that we have been using? And it's really quite interesting because this has taken me a long time to come to. And it also comes from teaching older low readers. And my okay. student was 16 years old in Lubbock, Texas, two of them. 
My boys could read 10 words between the two of them. 16, I've spent 10 years in school. Wow. How do you teach these kids? Well, I did the poems, all of the things, and I knew it was critical that my students had a drama, adapt a book to a play. Now, even getting one that's good enough for them is a challenge. But I I knew these series, uh, and it's by an Australian author. And the first play, it's about a mother and a father and a son inviting the father's boss to dinner. It didn't work with my boys. Why? My students were single-parent households. I was going to say, either they don't have a father or their father's unemployed or he's not the kind of guy, not the kind of work situation where you invite your boss over. All of the above. All of the above. And what it does is it leaves them again saying, what's the point of this? This doesn't ever happen to me. So I put, I, I did my bit. I put it away and I said, well, the next one I've got, it's, you know, it's, it's a good, it's a good story, but it's about girls. And my boys are both, I don't want to read about girls. But I said, it's really funny, really funny. Oh, okay. I'll listen. I'll listen. So I read it. And at the end, they roared with laughter. Now I've got them. We're reading it for weeks and weeks and weeks on end and they're really understanding it. And then my student one day is sitting across from me and he got angry. He got angry with his favourite teacher. (laughs) And and I'm going, what's happened here? And he says to me, we wouldn't say those words. What words? We don't have debates in our school. We don't have school captains and we don't do assignments. Hmm. Oh, Twain, what do you do? Well, we'd be going over our football place. We'd be with the school the football captain, and we'd be doing our homework. That's what we'd be. And these words just flew from his mouth. Yeah. Twain, we can rewrite anything. That was the day I created Readers. Hmm. That power of personal connection, when you look at all of the training these boys had had over 10 years of schooling, no one had ever thought about are they connecting with the literature. Right. They're just doing letters and sounds with foreign things. Everything is foreign. We've alienated them. It's what we're now calling culturally relevant teaching, you know, because we have to put labels on everything. But that's what teachers are struggling to move toward. Do you have to be, so you you are reading specialists working with these two boys. Um, For a general ed teacher, Do you need to be a reading interventionist or a specialist to really succeed with these strategies? Do they have to be implemented one-on-one or in small groups with kids? Or how how can just a gen ed teacher be supporting those struggling readers in his or her classroom? Everything I do can be done in a classroom. Teachers need more knowledge on the struggle that most kids have with language, that the word block and I have a physical block in front of me, so you have to bring props in. That takes more time and effort. A block, rhyming word sock, a clock that goes tick-tock, and a lock. Bring them all in so that the children are not imagining this is real. You're connecting mm-hmm. the oral language and the written language. Yeah, so making learning concrete is a big, okay. The word block has more than one meaning. Yeah. 
and my list of directions is, you know, find the block, then find the sock. Now block the hole in the box with the sock. Hmm. Can my students read it? Can they comprehend it? And what does the block mean there? And the last statement I give on this worksheet is block the doorway. Hmm. Children who are with it know exactly what to do. My right. students are looking at the block and looking at the doorway and wondering what the connection is. Hmm. And it's that inability to switch right. language. And I just keep saying to them, block the doorway, block the doorway. And then, oh, I know what I have to do. I have to get up and do something. Yeah. It's that switch in their brain from one meaning, one definition to the other one, right? The words that stuck with me are language is dynamic. And mm. when I grew up reading words, it's because you're not making connections and you're not understanding that language is dynamic. And I've got a little YouTube clip on my son talking about the word saw. Yeah. He said, I expected every word to only have one meaning. And it doesn't. And it doesn't. And that's a huge discovery for kids. So in your work with other teachers and training them how to use these strategies, you, you've shared the success story of your son and some of your students. Can you talk about, um, a, do you have a, a favorite success story maybe from another teacher's classroom who has adopted these strategies and it's kind of changed the, their whole approach to teaching reading? Yes, yes. That once I've been in professional developments, the teachers get astounded when I do an activity of asking half the room to copy off the board using their right hand. The other half of the room copies off the board with their left hand. And within. And they're not left handed. And they're not left handed. And then I give some people a mirror, one person a mirror, and ask them to have a sheet in front of them to copy through the mirror on with their right hand and one with their left hand and how isolating that feels. Mm. So everyone has a different experience and it gives you some empathy for the children who are struggling. And you offer a a 10-week course that's a digital course, I think. Am I right? Yes. Yes. Um, So it's it's and it's free. So teachers always love free. So a free 10-week course, and it features experts from all around the world. It's called When Learning is Trauma. I think it examines the psychological trauma of failure in school. And so who is this course for? This is my YouTube live series, and we talk to uh, people who have struggled in school. We talk to psychologists. We talk to people who have talked about how to get out of the trauma. We finished our third season. We're starting our fourth in September. This came about when I spoke to my son. My son now, he was 30. He'd completed a PhD. He's had years of success in school. And I thought, now I can ask Nicholas about first grade. Hmm. My son cried and not a word emerged from his mouth. And for the first time, I recognised what had happened all those years ago, 20 plus years ago. 
because he was aware of what these educators were saying about him. And he was aware of being isolated. And physical isolation is as bad as physical punishment. He had no friends in first grade. No one spoke to him. And I sent him to school every day. I should have withdrawn him. No teacher called me up and said, there's a problem here. Something's going on and we shouldn't be letting this happen to any child in our school. Let's do something else. They didn't. They didn't. Why? Because the kid's dumb. He's really dumb. They don't say those things, but that's the thought in the back of their mind. Right. And so he had no support. I had no support. Horrendous. Horrendous. Yeah. And he remembers it. I mean, a lot of us don't even remember first grade. Yeah, he remembers it. It's got a shift from a memory to language. Yeah, to talk about it and then reframe it for himself. So who is the course for? Is it for teachers, educational leaders? Everyone, everyone, teachers, parents, educational leaders. In September this year, October it might be, we are talking to Dr. Mary Helen Imordano-Yang. She is a brain scientist from California Institute who talks about emotion and learning. Everything I did in Oxford is what she talks about. Emotions are not an additional extra to learning. In fact, we use emotions to access memory. I had done all of these things unwittingly in Oxford. That's how the series came about. You were just following your intuition and it was right. And I didn't know. I didn't know its power. There are too many children going through school who are being ostracized and alienated. They're not going to learn under those set of circumstances. And it doesn't matter how much phonics you throw. It doesn't matter what you do. While they don't feel included, they're not going to learn. So the first thing has to be acceptance. So the first success strategy really for struggling readers is social emotional learning and and learning culture, learning environment before you implement any other reading strategies is what I hear you saying. And it's it's got to be um, together. Right. They have to be integrated. Yeah, they have to, to be, be integrated. Successful. Yes. It's yeah. not, I'm going to make you safe, now do this work that's really hard for you. We've got to find work that will allow them to laugh and feel, yes, I can do this, and this is okay, and I want to come back tomorrow. Yeah. The book is Reversed, a Memoir. You can find it pretty much everywhere books are found, and it is also linked in the episode notes, where you'll find Lois's website, her 10-week course, and all the other resources mentioned in this episode, including today's sponsor, Learning Ally. Maria Arcodia, a teacher in Brooklyn, New York, said, The greatest difference in our students with learning ally, aside from their scores improving, is the social-emotional learning piece. Their self-confidence grew at a rate that we wouldn't have been able to manipulate in the classroom. You can find learning ally at edcuration.com, along with a veritable banquet of other great resources and professional learning opportunities, like all of our other podcast episodes. And if you like our podcast, please leave us a star rating on Apple Podcasts and join us again next week for another episode of Reshaping Learning with Ed Curation. Mm-hmm.